Hopefully you've had a very Merry Christmas out there, Fight Fans. Combat Talk Radio, found at CombatTalkRadio.net. My name is Leister. I'm your host. If you're new, welcome. If you're not new, welcome back. And we have a couple of fights, not a lot, because they pretty much wrapped up cramming them into the prior. So I'm going to talk about what's on deck. One of them I mentioned on the prior uh, episode. I'm just going to revisit it, because that's happening today. That's uh, Vito Milnicki. Uh, he's in action. He's fighting uh, Salim Larby. So again, that's happening today. If you want to check it out, it is on Fight TV, so you will have to do online. Check that out. It's in the Prudential Center out in Newark, if you're in the U.S. Uh, Ten rounds of super welterweight action. Again, I I highly rate Vito Milnicki. I think he's a really good dude. Larby is no small uh, task, but he's older. He's been in the game a while, much older, been stopped quite a few times, and whereas Milnicki's been on a tear. So I don't think we're going to see very much of a different outcome on that one. Again, that's wrapping up today. That's why I wanted to talk about it today and get it out of the way. That rhymes. Now, let's talk about what's happening on deck. This is going to happen on Sunday as I record this. So the 31st of December, 12 rounds at super flyweight action. This is out in Tokyo, Japan. It may or may not be televised. I'm not really sure. Uh, Kazuto Ioka fighting Josper Perez. Good fight. Of course, I know Ioki very well. I only saw a couple of fights of Perez. Didn't see a lot of him, but I think he's a really good dude. He's coming off a loss, dominant decision loss. He's still a good dude, um, but... He's been on a decline, so I don't see that Ioka's going to have very much trouble with Ioka. And the thing I say about Ioka, you know, he could easily pass for Elder Barge the way he has been looking in the past. Anyway, good solid fight. I think it's going to be action-packed for as long as it lasts. Because remember, if you didn't know Perez, he's a knockout artist and he tends to make mistakes, which is why he got caught and got that decision lost before. And then Ioka, he's not a knockout artist, but he's solid skilled, so... Definitely check that out if you want to see some action on the lighter weight classes at Superfly and see what's going on there. Same arena, 10 rounds at bantamweight action. Of course, I know some people don't like the little guys. I'm talking about them because if you're a boxing fan, you shouldn't really care. Uh, Daigo Iga fighting Nawafan Kaikana. Didn't know either guy. I had watched a couple of fights for Iga. Uh, saw, wasn't really impressed overly. It seemed like he's, seemed like he makes mistakes. You know, fighters make mistakes, but in his case, he makes silly mistakes, like mistakes. It's like, come on. But when he when he shows up and he keeps his head straight, he's solid. He'll get you out of there. He's a beast. He's a knockout beast. So I give him that. Whereas Kaikana, I just do. This guy is horrible. I'm sorry, but he's horrible. From my visual, he's a terrible, terrible. I'm sure he's a good dude. I'm talking styles. I'm talking skills. I'm talking precision. I'm talking accuracy. I'm talking timing. I'm talking everything. He is terrible to me. I'm sorry. That's what I see. So do I think it'll be a decently good fight? Yes, because both of them throw leather. They both will throw leather. We're going to see a stoppage. I'm going to lean towards Iga because I didn't see anything, any other different outcome. Same event, 12 rounds at super featherweight action. Yoshimisu Kimura fighting Kusuke Saka. I did not know either fighter. Was not really impressed on the numbers. However, I noticed something odd on uh, Saka. Saka is so it's not like he makes mistakes per se he's a warrior and so a lot of these guys that are warriors at spirit they go out there and they do everything they can to entertain the fans he's that and it's gotten him some losses he has seven losses on record you might be like damn it's a lot it is but remember some of the best fighters have a, a pretty high number of losses i mean marquez had a high number of losses and his pacquiao had a decent number of losses so we can't say that we have to get rid of the narrative that you should have zero losses. And the fact that he has seven, I can excuse it because of the warrior spirit that he has, is what I'm saying. Whereas Gamora doesn't have as many losses. He's not a knockout artist. 
They have roughly the same experience in the game. I would lean this towards Gamora, if only because Gamora seems like he's more fundamentally sound overall. That's the only reason I lean it to him. That's all we got for this weekend. The next fights are going to happen next, and that's going to be the return of Virgil Ortiz Jr. Finally, let's hope he doesn't get sick again. After that, uh, Betulbjev makes his return against Callum Smith. We're going to see uh, Marissa Mayer. Great to see her back. Fighting Natasha Jonas. Can't wait to see her back. That's going to be excellent. And a whole slew of fights in January. January stacked. January is huge. And so I think they wrapped up. They pretty much shot their load in December. That's why we're not seeing a lot of action in December other than the ones I covered. Now, I'm going to talk about a couple of news bits. Just to, And I say news. I put that in quotes. But a couple of things that came up. And I will share some of this on the YouTube channel, perhaps, just because I think it's worth talking about. So the old candidacy for fighter of the year is up in the air and people are kind of mixed. They're not really sure who to choose. Should it be Devin Haney? After he's done such a stellar job against stellar opposition, people are saying no because they think that he lost to Lomachenko. The fact is he got his hand raised against somebody he really should not have because Loma just didn't damn show up. That's what happened. That's what you saw. It was less about Haney and more about Loma not showing up. He didn't show up to the tail end of the fight. And that's Loma's pattern. He'll half-ass it to the front part, and then on the tail end, he'll step it up, and then all of a sudden, he looks like a world beater. But the truth is, it's like, dude, you got to show up every single round. That's what got you the L against Tiafimo and now the L against Devin Haney. So I saw Haney win a very close competitive matchup, and it's one of the best wins on his rec resume. And then, of course, two times taking care of Cambosas, unifying the division, he vacated, made a debut at 140, did an amazing performance against Regis Progress. I'm sorry, Devin Haney, to me, from a body of work perspective, I think did an excellent job in 2023. Now, yeah, annoyed, right? I have him number one. He's one of the, I argue, one of the best fighters I think I've seen. Just dominant, destructive, and skilled, and humble, and he's quality. He's just a quality dude. Then you got Terrence Crawford, and Crawford, he he's ranting on social media that he should be the number one guy. And I've always said if you have to if you have to call yourself the number one guy, you're probably not the number one guy. If we go back to Floyd Mayweather when he was talking to Larry Merchant on the show, it's like he just basically said, you know, when the history books are written, you're gonna see what level I'm at. And that's what's happened. So people have kind of recognized him as the greatest. Yes, he called himself TDE, but he said himself. TB has nothing to do with the accolades in the ring. TB is overall. TB is numbers. TB is asses in the seats. TB is money made. TB is champions taken out. Floyd still holds the record for how many champions he's beaten. Floyd still holds the record of how quickly he was able to take titles. Floyd still holds the record for a low number overall of fights, 50 fights total. But look at how many champions there were in that. Floyd still holds those records and nobody can take that from him. When Crawford says, you know, I should be because of how I beat this guy. And he said that Spence was top five pound for pound. Listen, I'm a Spence fan. Anybody's listened to me for a while knows I'm a Spence fan. And I never had Spence. I damn sure didn't have him top five at that point. Because you you look at the list. You're talking now you're Inouye. I've always had him up there. Canelo Alvarez. Canelo! I've always had him up there. I even put Uzik up there at a point. I had Fury up there at a point. He dropped off and I had him up there at a point. So, no. Now, if you want to say that Spence was top five pound for pound, that's on you. I never did. So let's say, though, okay, I rated him top five pound for pound. That's one fighter. People have done lists. And Noe has wrecked at least 10 number one to number five rated guys in his career span at the weights that he's dominated. 
If I look at Terrence Crawford's 147, he can't say the same about anybody on that list except for Errol Spence and to a lesser degree, Jeff Horn. Because what happened was when Jeff Horn beat Manny, and yes, he got his hand raised, when he beat Manny Pacquiao, BoxRec specifically put him as number one welterweight in the world, number five pound for pound. And people in SB and other places criticized that decision and said, no, it's not true. He's a paper champion. He's not a real champion. He did beat Manny. He's not number five. He's not number five. Power for pound, he's not number one welterweight. Okay, if that's true, then that means Crawford did not beat a quality opposition to win the title. But then when Crawford beat Jeff Horn, all of a sudden is well, Jeff Horn was a champion. Do, do, do. So it's this flip-flop on NSB that drives me nuts. But the point is, when we look at the totality of the body of the work, to me, Inoue has the span of decimation. He's just destructive across a span of time and weight classes. Devin Haney within the two weight classes we're talking about, basically 135 and 140, the quality of opposition to me is top notch. We're talking names. We're talking people that people would know. When I look at Anui, you're talking Stephen Fulton, Nonito Donaire, and maybe one or two other people. But of that list, you're really only talking about Nonito Donaire. And it took two times to really showcase what he was capable of against Donaire. Devin Haney, you're talking Cambosis, who is the unified champion. He takes the unification away from Cambosis, then beats him again off a pointless rematch, beats Lomachenko, who everybody was highly rating prior to this, beats Regis Prograce, who was arguably the top dog at 140 when Josh Taylor left. Like, I look at the quality of the names that Devin Haney beat. What NSB and other places are doing, they're saying they're discrediting those wins. They're discrediting Lomachenko because they say that Loma won. He didn't win that damn fight. They're discrediting Prograce because Prograce didn't fucking show up. He didn't show up. That was not about him. That's not Haney's fault. Prograce didn't show up. He knows he didn't show up. He can say, well, I, he's better than I thought. No, Prograce could have done more than what he did. He didn't try. Just like Deontay Wilder, which I'll get to in a second, didn't try against Joseph Parker. Sometimes the guys just don't fucking show up. Lomachenko didn't show up against Haney, and he didn't show up against Tiafimo. Some guys just don't show up. Sorry, it still counts as a W for the person who got the hand raise. So when I look at the body of the work, the totality of it, I got to put Devin Haney up there. For me, it's the toss-up. The real toss-up is Devin Haney versus Naoya Anui. And it's hard for me to choose. I lean more towards Devin Haney, if only because when I look at Devin Haney and who he beat, it's a little bit above where Anui was because of the where Anui is and some of that's not his fault. If I look at the total body of it, then Inouye certainly is the class above. There's no damn way I got Crawford as fighter of the year. I don't care how much he screams because it's one guy. And I never had that one guy as top five pound for pound. Hell damn no. So if Crawford were to have fought Boots instead of getting stripped for the IBF title after ducking him, I might have been able to say, okay, you got two names where you unify the division against Errol Spence. Okay, it's quality win. You go out there and you deal with Boots, let's say before you get stripped, you defend against a mandatory in Boots, who was your biggest threat. Let's say it's after he got stripped. You go and you beat Boots. You take the IBF back. You become a two-time welterweight undisputed champion. Okay, now I got to put you up there. Like if he had, when Boots said, come get your belt back. If, Boots, if Crawford had said, okay, fine, I'll come get that shit back. He had gone, fought Boots, got his title back, reunified the division, did what nobody else has ever done. I'm talking in the four belt era, which is two-time undisputed then, yes, he has a case for fight of the year because he'd have done that in the span of a year. Nobody else would come close there, but Crawford instead is calling out lightweights and super middleweights like a damn jack jackass. No, he ain't going to get those fights. So, no, for me, the toss-up on the fighter of the year 
is Devin Haney versus Naoya Inoue. And it really goes to what you prefer. If you prefer just a stylistic masterclass, you're leaning towards Devin Haney. If you're looking at the totality of destruction over time, you're talking Naoya Inoue. I don't see any uh, anybody else outside of those two. Bottom line, that's what I feel. Now, now, let me talk about the heavyweights, the day of reckoning. What a farce. Now, I, I ordered this. So DAZN had the, the deal where you do $5 for the first month, and then the pay-per-view was really cheap. It was like $39.99, so it's like $45. It's not about the money. It's is it worth what you're asking? And $45, yes, I can justify $45. You're talking a list of laundry list of top-level opposition. So I go ahead and order the fight, and I did live coverage on the radio show about it. And I want to just kind of circle back on a couple of these fights. First of all, boring-ass Frank Sanchez continued to be boring as hell, just like I expected him to do. But Zorro, freaking Zorro, Jayo Pataya versus Zorro. Zorro, I can't say he took a dive, but Zorro treated himself like a bum. That was one of the worst outings I'd ever seen. Then what salvaged this whole business is when I saw Dubois, Daniel Dubois fighting Big Baby Miller, Jarrell Miller. That was, you're going you're gonna to shake your head and probably raise your eyebrows. I challenge you if you can find it online. Daniel Dubois versus Jarrell Big Baby Miller was the fight of the night for me on Day of Reckoning because it had everything you could want in a boxing match. You had a heel, you had a, quote, baby face, a good guy in Dubois. You have the story that Dubois is a quitter. Jarrell Miller kept beating him up about being a quitter and saying, I'm going to make you quit again. Big Baby Miller came in there heavier as ever came before. So then... Miller comes in and all he's doing is coming forward. He's just a freaking tank coming forward. He's not really doing anything. He's just coming forward. And Dubois is tossing leather on him left and right. And Miller just kept coming, just kept coming, just kept coming, leaning on Dubois, doing everything he could to wear Dubois down to force him to quit. You can see that was Miller's plan is to get Dubois to quit. Dubois never quit. There were points where I was afraid he might quit because it looked like he was, you know, kind of getting a little nervous. And I was saying, man, don't, please don't quit again, dude. Please don't do it. He didn't do it. He kept throwing back, kept throwing back, kept throwing back. The final sequence, last round, Dubois lands a bomb. Miller puts his tongue out and taunts him, basically saying, you're not going to be able to knock me out. So we're getting down to the last minute of this fight. You're not going to be able to knock me out. Dubois lands another shot. Miller gets rocked back against the ropes, looks at the ref, says, I'm okay, basically because he didn't want the ref to call a knockdown because he was held up by the ropes. Dubois goes in for the kill, just throwing bombs. Now, this is the second time Dubois up the aggression to try to get Miller out of there. Earlier in the fight, he tried to do a sequence to get Miller out of there. The ref didn't stop the damn fight. Here in this last one, Dubois was throwing and throwing. The ref did everything in his power not to stop the fight. And then finally, he had no choice. He had to stop the fight. It was the last couple seconds of the fight. And Daniel Dubois was able to stop Big Baby Miller. First time Miller's ever lost. And Dubois didn't quit. It had everything you would want. As a boxing fan, the story, the psychology, like if you think about the Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder trilogy. It was always about the psychology and the story of these two guys that made it compelling to watch. That's what Dubois versus Miller was. That's what, what, like I say, if you can find it online, I do highly recommend that fight for a boxing fan, not a Mark. If you're a Mark, you're not going to like it. But if you're a fan, you're going to love what you see because it's a story. It's a throwback story, especially if you knew the history of Dubois quitting twice and Miller taunting him about quitting and you see Miller trying to make him quit, and you see Dubois on the verge of quitting, but he bites down on the mouthpiece and goes to war against Big Baby Miller, 
This was an amazing sequence, ladies and gentlemen. And I do encourage you to check that fight out if you can, because I thought it was the best fight of the event. In stark contrast to the worst fight of the damn event, which was Deontay Wilder versus Joseph Parker. Deontay Wilder, who called himself Dr. Sleep, was sleepwalking the whole damn night through, didn't have to throw a punch the whole time. Some people said that Wilder threw the fight. Wilder didn't throw the fight. Do you know what happened? I'll tell you, because I watched Wilder. I've been watching Wilder since the early days. I've been watching Wilder for years. I see what he does. He does the same thing every time with slight variation. What happened here against Joseph Parker? Joseph Parker was very smart in one regard, which was he prioritized taking the right hand away from Deontay Wilder. The way that he did this is he dipped into the punch. So when Wilder was about to throw it, Wilder Parker would dip in. He would dip and come forward ever slightly. What people don't understand I've said for years, Wilder requires range. He needs distance because he wants the full throw. He can land the short right, the chopping right hand, but the only time he can actually do that is when he's at the right distance. He still has to measure the right range and the right distance to be able to land. You can see it in his eyes. He's looking for you to be in the right spot, and he's trying to maneuver you into the right spot to land the bomb. If you go back to Wilder versus Fury, the third fight, Wilder was very brilliant there. He was jabbing to the body up front, what does that do? If you do enough jabs to the body, the, the guy's hand's going to drop. So he does another jab to the body, jab to the body, and then he's able to land that chopping right hand over the top. The point is, against Parker, he didn't do any of that shit. He didn't do any. There was no jabs to the body I saw. He was barely doing the jab at all. He was just walking around looking for the shot. And you could see him cock the right hand up as if he was going to throw it. And at times, he would start to throw it but pull the punch. Because Parker was never in the position to give Wilder the maximum range, that made Wilder confident to throw that shot because he was afraid of getting countered because Parker was landing. Parker at no point really hurt Deontay Wilder, but Parker was landing freely. People said, well, Wilder's a coward. You got to compare. Joshua was tentative against Parker too when they fought to the point that Joshua basically ripped the tape off his glove to get the ref to give him a break because he was hurt and tired. So I think Parker just has that ability to make you tentative. But then people said, well, yeah, but he look at what happened with, with Joe Joyce. Styles make fights. Parker's style against Joe Joyce was, was garbage. That's the bottom line what that is. And I said, when Parker steps up, seems like he doesn't show up fully. He should have been able, he wasn't even able to knock Deontay Wilder down, despite all the landing he was doing. That's not taken away from Parker. He did a great performance for what he did. I'm saying that the outcome of that fight was really more about Wilder not doing a damn thing, certainly not doing what he did against Fury, and arguably, he needed to be windmilling. If he was windmilling like he did back in the old days, like say he did against Ariola or Gerald Washington, Parker wouldn't know what to do. Parker would have got sparked the hell out. But he was trying to box, and people said, yeah, he's trying to do what he did against Hellenius. I don't even think it was that, really. It might have been, but I don't think it's that. I think it's simply Parker was very effective at taking away the range. He was not allowing Wilder to be confident in throwing the right hand. Wilder was trying to throw the right hand. On multiple occasions, he tried. He was not going to commit unless he had the right distance from the fighter. That's what we see in every single damn fight that Wilder's ever had. Wilder came out after the fight. He lost a 12-0 shutout, folks. He came out after the fight and said, I'm not done. I'll be back. I, If he's going to be back, we need body on the record back. He's got to be. He said, bronze bomber is like body on the record. That's what he wants, and that's what I want. He's got to be that guy. He's got to be that dude. He cannot be whatever that ayahuasca, whatever the hell that is, he cannot come in there high off of what some shit. He's got to be the body on the record. 
or he's going to get hurt. And I don't want to see him get hurt because he's got kids, right? So horrible, worst fight of the evening. The last one I'll talk about, there was other fights, but I'll talk about, you know, Joshua versus uh, Otto Allen Wallen. And people speculated that Allen Wallen, Southpaw was going to cause Joshua some trouble. It didn't. Joshua didn't, it's not like he blitzed or destroyed him, but he was able to stop Volin. I think what happened is Volin was a little bit shell-shocked being in there with Joshua, and he might have suspected he could get a dirty shot on Joshua, and Joshua wasn't having it. Joshua fought a smart fight, but it wasn't really exciting. It wasn't exciting seeing the performance, because Joshua should have had him out of there in the early rounds, and it took him, I think, five rounds to get him out of there. That's not bad, but this is Anthony Joshua we're talking about here. And I think Joshua is still a little bit hesitant to go all in, against the guy who has no power, provably has no power. Joshua should be able to get him out of there earlier than he did. He did a decent performance of what it was, but the story now is because Joshua won his fight, Walter t- tanked his, that that fight's not going to happen in March between the two of them. Joshua came out and said, yes, we can still fight. It'll still sell big numbers. I'm not so sure because when you perform the way Walter did, I don't know how you can sell that damn thing. Just like with Fury and Usyk. Fury getting dropped and taking the hard distance against a rookie and then Usyk, who ironically damn near lost to Dubois off a body shot. So then damn near quit. So <laughs> people online were saying, damn, the heavyweight division just sucks these days. It's nowhere near what it was. And somebody like Riddick Bo, Big Daddy, would have taken everybody to task. And I can't disagree with this. It is true that the heavyweight division is nowhere close to what it was before. But I would argue, no matter whether you disagree or agree, it's factually, numerically the truth. The loss of Don King at the top level is part of the reason we're not seeing what we used to see because the desperation of some of those guys led to the quality fights that we're used to seeing. I would argue that Day of Reckoning was a pretty good card for what it was. You know, you did have a lot of quality talent on there. Bavall was on there. He pitched a shutout. So, yes, you had some quality talent all on one card. And I thought it was worth the money. I thought it was a really good card for what it is with the exception of Wilder stinking out the joint and boring-ass Frank Sanchez stinking out the joint. But you're not going to see those cards on a frequent basis unless the Saudis are funding the damn thing. So I think a lot of the heavyweights just don't want to show up because they just don't see, they're not inclined to unless they're getting paid boatloads of cash. And this would not have really been a sell, this whole event, if it wasn't for Big Baby Miller's trash talk because nobody else was really trash talking anywhere close to the way he was. He was killing it on the trash talk. He sold the whole damn event. So. I don't, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm saying if you can figure it out online and find it online, you have got to check out Daniel Dubois versus Big Baby Miller. It's easily the best fight on that card, and nobody expected that to be the case because most people thought that Dubois would quit under Miller's pressure because Miller is a pressure fighter. It's like he always has. So that's the day of reckoning. Again, I thought it was worth the money that they were asking. I thought it was a really good event. I had a really good time watching it. It was a pleasure to do the watch and do the coverage. Thanks to those who dialed in on our live radio show to listen to the live commentary. It was a lot of fun. And we'll be back next week with our podcast. And this, of course, will be next year, 2024, by the time you hear from me again. In the meantime, happy holidays. Hope you had a great Christmas and a great break. And hopefully your New Year's is beneficial as well. And let's hope that there's positive things for everybody in 2024 as we hopefully, uh, you know, elect a new president of the United States, too.